Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, part two of our Khmer Rouge series. Um, Nick, how you holding up, man? Um, I've, yeah, you know, preparing for these facts that I'm honestly going to hear. So, uh... I imagine they're going to be worse than the episode. No big deal. Every episode gets worse until the end. Um, so, again, I will start by saying, content warning everything um and while i didn't get into too many horrible things last episode i certainly will this one and i can't content warning at all by subject so i'll just say turn it off (laughs) um i wish i could yeah uh i have roped i think this is the first time that we've recorded a series back to back before and you picked a hell of a one to do it i tricked you completely but it's not like i didn't tell you what this is about i mean I kind of have an obligation at this point. Yeah, you have, we've already started recording. You can't back out now. It's, right. It's, it's in too deep. Uh, so before, uh, as in part one, Nick has the ability at any point, if he thinks that we are talking about something too horrible for him or the audience, he can request one animal fact. I can't necessarily uh, tap out because then that would mean it'd be done. Yeah, after. he can't tap out. Uh, you can, but he cannot. <laughs> Nick suffers for your sins. Um, yeah, your brain's already fucked. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I researched this, and like I, I've said it last episode, but this is probably the the only time that I've actually had to like put a book down and take a, take a couple days off. That's why this took so long to write this series. Um, Do you that, think your and I, brain sends you messages by you losing hair and saying, just basically telling you to stop? Uh, I think that might be the high blood pressure I now have. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like. I'm just as healthy as I was when we started this podcast. My health has gone down completely. It's great. <laughs> Like uh, my, 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 my lifestyle hasn't changed. I exercise every day. Uh, I eat very well in comparison to most people, but like I have like high blood pressure, like my joints hurt. <laughs> like, uh, it's great. Um, so when we left you last week, the pajama death cult known as the Khmer Rouge had stormed the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh, ending the Cambodian civil war and deposing the American puppet known as Lon Knoll, who would go on say to Phnom Penh. I think hunger games. Oh, Panam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. that I'm really unhappy that you just said Hunger Games. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is the Khmer Rouge Hunger Games, and it's terrible. Uh, well, you know, at the end of the Hunger Games, like you have a champion, they just like go home and they're like famous. Yeah, I totally would like to be Woody Harrelson. The, the Khmer Rouge is that, but nobody wins and nobody goes home and is treated as a champion. It, it, it's at the end if uh, PETA killed uh, Katniss for being you know, kind of revolutionary. Not a fan of PETA at all. He's a terrible name. Yeah, like, 
Don't worry, like I know how to decorate a cake so I can camouflage myself into the woods like an <laughs> yeah. expert. All right, fuck it, we'll find whatever. Cool specialty. Yeah, it'd be cooler if you had to use a gun, but whatever. I can bake pita bread. We get it. You're named after bread. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, the people of the capital, hardened through years of war, while scared of their new rulers at first, were just happy the war was over. Fuck, sorry. Like I, like I Lenny said. Lenny Kravitz was in the movie. He was. Lenny Kravitz was not in Cambodia, otherwise he'd be dead. No, he was <laughs> He'd be the first to go. Uh, he'd um, fly away. Uh, boo. Great song. Great song. Boo. Great song. Oh, I, this means I can leave now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I get booed all the time and I don't get to leave. Um, now, outside of the Khmer Rouge leadership, that being the organization, remember, um, almost everyone under arms and what they considered their army was like a teen, like very, very young child soldier type shit, uneducated and mostly illiterate. Uh, most of them had never even been near a big city let alone met the people within it, that live within it. Which, remember, they've been being told while out in their jungle camps that you see these motherfuckers in the city, all of them are your enemy. Like, they're your blood-fucking enemy. You cannot like these people. They're, they're like the great Satan, right? I mean, um, that's how it is anywhere when people look at big city people. That, that's fair. I mean, that's, <coughs> a tra- that's a traditional divide that you see in a lot of shit. And it's because they're so much easier to hate. Like, they're the other. You don't see them. You don't intermingle with them. You know? Um, so it's easier to blame those people in the city for all of your problem. Like, yeah. you would have more rights if it wasn't for those people in Phnom Penh. You'd be wearing yeah. shoes if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't have forced you to wear car tires on your feet <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't for- <gasps> You'd be able to jerk off if we didn't have to fight those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at this time, uh, people had been pressed into service a lot, especially most of these kids. It's not like they enlisted. Uh, so uh, and some were willing to volunteer. Like there's some hardline believers in Pol Pot or the organization. They didn't know who Pol Pot was. Hey, is um, this where I could join the funk? I'm here to to I, like it's someone with like big hair and platform shoes or whatever. Like I'm here for the funk. Like <laughs> yeah, you're in the wrong place, motherfucker. Um, and like you know they were. Some were hardline total believers, you know, uh, but many weren't. Um, when they were busy fighting, uh, they would, or when they weren't busy fighting, they'd spent their free time like doing those criticism sessions and then getting hit with hours of political education. Um, so, like, it, it's not a great life, but they have been told this entire time, like, this city is your main enemy. So now they're in the city. Um, and Pol Pot saw the city as being full of enemies. After all the people who uh, lived in the city had have been law no loyalists, right? right? Or they fled his army's advance, so they clearly could not be trusted. Like he had done on the countryside, he destabilized, He needed to destabilize this population so he could control them better. Because remember, out, out in the villages, he's moving people around. He's splitting up families. Um, he's just mixing people around just so they can be disorganized and afraid and dependent on them. So that's what he wanted to do, which is not great. Uh, this is a plan called Year Zero. Now, an easy way to understand the idea of Year Zero is to think of the Chinese Cultural Revolution if instead of it ending and then them realizing it didn't work, uh, they just like started banging steroids into its veins to make it even more powerful. Pol Pot thought the Chinese Cultural Revolution was a good start, but not extreme enough. 
He not only wanted to destroy anything resembling Cambodian tradition and history, he also wanted to destroy anything connected to modern life. Remember, his favorite Soviet leader was Joseph Stalin, who rapidly industrialized the USSR with an iron fist. Pol Pot wanted to do the opposite. He wanted to de-industrialize Cambodia and do it in such a way that probably Jay Stalls would respect it, which I think this is the first time that anybody ever tried to de-industrialize a nation. Um, Certainly quite like this. Um, But in order to launch his plan, he'd have to get rid of all these fucking city folk. Bastards. The Khmer Rouge warned everyone that an American bombing raid was coming, targeting the capital specifically to punish the Khmer Rouge for winning. And in order to protect its civilian population, he, enti- he ordered the entire population of the city to be evacuated. Now, there was no bombing. He just wanted to evacuate the city. He knew at this point people would be fucking terrified of this. Because remember, we bombed the shit out of Cambodia. If somebody said they were going to bomb the capital at this point, people are like, oh shit, they're going to bomb the capital. Like, this is 100% a believable lie. But nobody need to bring anything. We just need to evacuate for a couple days, and then we'll come back. Um, just, like, run out with the clothes on your back, walk down the road, start following everybody. Because every, it's like a human chain of millions of people fleeing the city. Right. And I, I think they said it was for, like, a grand total of three days. So don't worry about it. Um... Within 24 hours, about 80% of the city's 2.5 million people were expelled. Wow. This was not always voluntary. People were forced out of their homes at gunpoint by teenage Khmer Rouge fighters. And if people still refused, they were shot or beaten to death. They were forced out into the roads towards uh, government-run farms that had been kind of sort of set up. Not really. The idea of farms was there. Like, there wasn't housing for these people. There wasn't food for these people anywhere that they're going. If you happen to be young or old or otherwise could not keep up, you were allowed to drop dead on the side of the road. If anyone oh, you were allowed stopped- to? Yeah. It was, oh, like, it, this, the, we allow this one thing. Um, if anybody stopped to help you, you'd be killed. If anybody stopped at all to slow the flow of human traffic in any way, they would also be killed. Normally, again, by having your head caved in. Nobody was allowed to keep anything. If you brought something with you, like a lot of people brought food, that'd be stolen from you. A best case scenario, it would just be taken. Worst case scenario, they'd kill you for not listening to them. Fuck. During the evacuation of Phnom Penh, at least 20,000 people died. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, forcing the, the city population, not just Phnom Penh, but other cities as well out into the countryside was a huge part of that so-called year zero idea it forced people to abandon all aspects of modern life and submit completely to the khmer rouge the government soon follow suit by abandoning what could be considered the most ways of governing that most countries uh, govern with um, the country was officially renamed democratic kampuchea and most links to the outside world were completely and totally severed. All foreigners were expelled or killed. Um, and this included uh, uh, Vietnamese troops. They pulled back to what they considered their border, which included a large chunk of what Cambodia considered Cambodia. Uh, but everybody was pulling out. Uh, There's constant firefights between both sides. 
Um, and those would not stop. Um, I'm not going to talk about them until just about the fourth episode. But just throughout all of this, Vietnam and Cambodia are pretty much at war. They're shooting at each other openly, raiding each other's uh, biz- uh, like uh, borders. Though, the, like the Khmer Rouge is just randomly invading Vietnam in some points. Um, it's very, very weird. Um, at this point, the only real connection that anybody has with what was Cambodia is China. Uh, so, like I just said, the only country that have routine communications with them was China. But it wasn't like you would expect. Like, you know, I said that China's setting them up to be a proxy government. Like, you're going to, you can do whatever you want, this Campuchia shit, but you work for us. Right. It wasn't like that. Um, they tried, and then Pol Pot kind of just ignored them. Um, since the Sino-Soviet split and the end of the Vietnam War, China had been looking for a way to counteract Soviet influence over Vietnam, who had kind of told them to, China to go fuck himself. Um, I'm not going to go into... I'll, I'll go into more on the history of the Sino-Soviet split in episode four. Um, but it was... China and Vietnam also have historical animosity. This isn't just a... a that communist-based beef here. Uh, th- there's a lot of hate between the two nations, but what was easier and a better way to pressure them was uh, not only having China on their border, but also having a pliant Cambodian regime right on their border as well. So they could use them as like a thorn in the side. Uh, and you know, China is giving them a fucking ton of military equipment. They know is just going to be fired across the border at Vietnam and also yeah. into the heads of Cambodians. Um, now, while China originally intended to use Pol Pot to run a nation dominated by their larger partner, China quickly lost control of pretty much everything. Pol Pot would be unfazed by any Chinese objections to his insane, uh, his weird fucking plans. And eventually, China would just stop objecting. They're like, yeah, well, you do you, bro. Like, this wasn't like, no, you, please stop killing people. Uh, no, they didn't care. In 1975, Pol Pot and the rest of his inner circle or the organization or whatever the fuck they're calling themselves, the supervillains of, of Kampuchea, went to China and talked to Zhao Enlai. Uh, Enlai was sick at the time, but was pretty fucking worried about Pol Pot's plans in Cambodia. He, uh, he was worried that Pol Pot w- uh, was going to do and kind of recreate their own mistakes, uh, which Enlai was kind of sort of trying to fix. You can call that. It was a warning. He said that Pol Pot shouldn't attempt to create communism in one step without a transitional step, which is kind of a foundational idea of communist thought of that transitional step of socialism. In China, they consider this the era of new democracy or when they allowed things like landlords and other semi-bougie aspects to take part in the economy to ease things into what they could consider a socialist system. Uh, China yeeted that idea into the sky, uh, and then they did their great leap forward with horrible outcomes. So Enlai knew a thing or two about fucking up the game plan. The Cambodian leadership completely ignored them. Uh, and the, like, like I said, everybody kind of figured Pol Pot was kind of dumb. And again, like he's breaking it down very, very easy. Like, if you do this, you're going to kill so many people. Um... And that leads to like uh, one like one of the Khmer Rouge's most important sayings, which kind of frames their entire existence. It's like to keep you is to no, is is no gain, and to oh. lose you is no loss. Yeah, it pretty much just means you can do what the fuck you want. It's great. So like, 
you couldn't warn them like this. Like if Zhao Enlai yeah. is like, you're going to kill like half of your fucking population. He's like, okay, didn't eat them. They'll, they'll work before they die. So it's all good. So as far as Pol Pot was concerned, society only consisted of four classes, peasants, workers, bourgeoisie, capitalists, and feudalists. His idea was to force everyone into the peasant class or destroy them. The word they use a lot is smash them. Like, that's a, a very powerful word that the Khmer, like they'd say smash your enemies, smash. Right. It always just means kill. Uh, they're, they're, there's no, they're not very reform minded people. Um, and because he kicked everybody out of the cities, the only industrialized working class of the country in, in their few factories had been forced out into the fields. Um, the only pre-industrial working class, if any real strength, were rubber farmers, who were mostly Vietnamese. Therefore, already dead no or running for their lives. So he he's killing a lot of different classes. Uh, it's, it's almost like he's really fucking bad at this. Um, and what class you happen to be really didn't matter much. If you're a poor rice farmer, but also didn't like the Khmer Rouge, you're as much as enemy of the state as a capitalist or a feudalist for that matter. It didn't fucking matter. Their ideas were based on consciousness, not. So I need to, I need to make this very clear. This is not the I, modern idea of consciousness, not like class consciousness, not like what, a, not like being aware of something of a struggle. Like you could be infected by a foreign soul. Like you're, like, almost like like Lawn Knoll would be rolling chicken bones and trying to d- fucking figure out what was going on. He thought the same thing, right? Like the the idea of classes was just more of like a woo vibe to him. It was very very weird. In short, all of this happened because China couldn't control right. their own fucking boy that they sent out there. Now. Something could be said that China couldn't control him because Pol Pot didn't know how to govern, so he didn't know what he was doing. And he largely made no real attempt to do so. It's one of those situations where you go into uh, you know, a, a problem, situation, whatever, and you go into that talking to them like they're a rational person, right? Like, you're, you're speaking to another adult. We're going to handle this like rational adults, right? right? And maybe guide them the right way. Only to recognize that even their base ideas are so separated from reality that you kind of can't. It's one of those like if you were to talk to someone about like I've actually had this conversation before. Someone was very into, um, very into like activism against like human trafficking, um, which is like something that most people are against. But like as you talk to them more and more in like how you would talk to anybody, you realize that they're a QAnon guy. So it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, China right. got involved with Pol Pot because he's a communist. He's a communist revolutionary. And then they talk to him more and more and they're like, oh, fuck. You know? Like, that, that's, that's the relationship that I see. But they don't break it off. Um, now, during some of this government, uh, this governance, if you want to call it that, they did publish a constitution that included elections. Their only elections were held in 1979 with a magical voter turnout number of 98%. Um, yeah, it's 
that now that 98% number must have been very hard to hit as anybody who is considered a new person or new people that was being city dwellers were not allowed to vote or take part. Um, (laughs) It's almost like they're fake. Um, Though none of this matters because the body of government they were elected to had no actual powers to do anything. I believe they're called like the Supreme Soviet or like the Supreme Constitutional Assembly. That was completely pointless. It was not a job. It's not a real position. Everything was decided by dictate by Pol Pot. They tossed aside the entire legal system of old Cambodia, saying they'd have to start their own based around the people's courts. People's courts were never made, however. Um, They also had to throw out their old police forces, never really establishing anything that you would consider be called police. Um, Instead, they formed the Santibal, or the Santibal. I'm not entirely sure which one it is. Um, It meant keepers of the peace, and they fell eventually under the command of Kang Kek Lu, otherwise known as Comrade Dutch. Um, We'll talk much more about him next episode. Um, now, the Santibal had no real training other than political ideology. And while they were supposed to act as police, they were pretty much the Gestapo. Um, their power came from abject fear, but also a massive, massive system of snitches that included men, women, and children. Yeah. Remember how we talked about that self-criticism thing? It's oh, that, God. but at a national level. Because remember, it's considered unclean to have uh, counter-revolutionary thoughts or even so much as to witness something that's counter-revolutionary and not talk about it. So, yeah. Um, It's like they bred untrustworthiness and snitching into a new society. Um, There would be multiple snitches in the same family groups, all of them ratting on one another. At, At first, many people used this newfound power to settle old scores, getting people they didn't like hauled away. But soon... All of those people were gone because, like, the Santa Paul wasn't investigating people so much as being denounced, which is as easy as, like, I denounce Nick. He's counter-revolutionary. That's as good as fucking, you're as good as guilty, you're dead. People are being sent to fucking prison. I mean, they were, but that's also a death sentence. Um, there was something of a system in place where, like, you'd be warned and you'd be almost like a three-strike system. You'd be given a, warn, a warning and a second warning, third warning, you're gone. They didn't say it that oh, way. Okay. It's like, you'll be re-educated. But re-education is a death sentence. Um, but most of the time, what happened is you got accused of something, you'd be fucking gone. Um, but remember, you've, you've created a, a self-fulfilling cycle here, Right. Once you've gotten rid of all those people, right. you can't stop snitching on people, real or imagine, whatever these crimes may be, uh, because then the Santa Ball would assume that now you're hiding something, leading you to be hauled away. So it was in your best interest to just make shit up in order to save yourself. the struggle meeting? He's like, yeah, I've been here six times. Still alive. <laughs> and then Grand champion, baby. Oh, uh, actually, hubris is counter-revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Um, I noticed that you're wearing uh, airwalks, comrade. Where are your sandals? Uh, he stole them. <laughs> Deflect attention. Um, now, when you worked for the Santa Ball, not that like you had a choice. It was like, you work for the Santa Ball now, and you're like, <laughs> okay. 
because uh, <laughs> like not wanting to work for the Santa Ball was also a crime. There was so if say when you work for them, there was something of a quota to meet, and Santa Ball agents themselves were not immune to falling for this trap. Their superiors never accepted the idea that their agents weren't finding enough people because maybe they could have killed right. all the theorized enemies okay. of the people. That was never thought of. Instead, you sucked at your job or you were an enemy, which would cause other agents to make shit up to get them arrested in order to make them look good. In short, they had not only turned an entire society into snitches who would rat each other out in a never-ending Ouroboros, but also the government. Their own government began consuming itself Almost immediately. They're like, there's so many people who are part of the quote organization that were almost immediately disappeared because somebody accused them of a coup like, or like saying something against Pol Pot or, you know, hoarding rice or whatever. Like, almost immediately, with the exception of like four dudes, pretty much everybody gets fucking annihilated at one point. It almost makes the East German Stasi look tame in comparison, which is, right. is world-renowned for the amount of snitches they had on, on their it's payroll. Fuck, it sucks. Now, Nick, this is where I get to say, wait, it gets I'm still worse. I'm trying to wrap my head around the, all these snitches. I just can't believe it. Like, at this point, like, you could... We'll talk about it a little bit more, but, like, you couldn't, like, confide in anyone. Like, there, nobody had friends, because everybody that you were probably like, man, I'm fucking tired. <laughs> like, oh, God, I'm God getting drunk away. Being tired is kind of revolutionary. You hold water and tell somebody some shit. No, you, you just had to sit on it all. Like, uh, so, uh, Nick, I, I see that you're starving. I can see your ribs through your back. Um, you're limping from some horrible, untreated malady. And I just killed your brother. How's everything going? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's great. I love it here. Um, now, if you happen to be one of the people that got ratted on, you get some bad news. Like I said, there's no burden of evidence here other than someone accusing you of doing something. And then the Santa Paul would just vanish you into a death camp, which we will talk about at length next episode. Now, we've already talked about one Khmer Rouge philosophy. That is, to lose you is no loss, to keep you is no gain. Um, there's another philosophy that makes a lot of sense when you think of the Santa Paul, and that is, quote... It is better to arrest 10 people by mistake than let one guilty person go free. Hmm? What? Which is like the exact opposite of how that's supposed to be. <laughs> We'd rather kill 90% of people. And looking at that slogan, you have to assume arrest means murder because you do not see many accounts of someone being arrested by the Santa ball and then the Santa ball being like, oh shit, my B dude. I just imagine. Turns out you're a good dude. Everybody's just dying. Pretty much. Yeah, this is the whole... This, 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 the Khmer Rouge killed a country. They killed a country more thoroughly than the Nazis did. Um, as for running the country, there was no real governing body once in charge. The Communist Party, then known as the Communist Party of Kampuchea or CPK, didn't make themselves publicly known. Okay. Just like the idea of there being a Communist Party, like, nope, can't talk about it. <laughs> Top secret shit. Try not to die around here. At this point, anybody that did know about them existing simply still called them the organization. Though at one, they eventually started going in and out between like calling themselves the organization and then calling themselves Ankar because they wanted to make themselves like like they, they didn't want to like consider themselves the government. They wanted to consider themselves like quite literally Cambodia embodied because like Ankar Wat and Ankar are pretty much like interchangeable for Cambodia, right? right? 
Um, and so they're like, no, 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 we're not the Communist Party. We're not the organization. We are Cambodia. All decisions were made by Pol Pot or his second in command, uh, Nauen Che, who was now known as Brother Number Two, <laughs> and uh, Pol Pot known as Brother Number One. Um, some people were brought uh, in to make choices as well. There's like br- brothers up to like Brother Number Four. Um, the group called now called themselves the Center. Organization was better. The organization's much better, yeah. Whatever they came up with was immediately considered law by decree. Uh, and this is generally like they didn't keep a lot of internal files. Um, it was mostly like they didn't like we know a lot of the the, the most evil shit the Nazis did because they kept meticulous yeah. notes. Uh, and like the Khmer Rouge did a lot of that as well, especially in like S21 and stuff. But when it comes to like official documents from like the center or the organization, not a lot survived. They just wrote it on their hand. Uh, yeah, just like Snapchat yeah. to one another. But uh, it's generally considered while the center came up with almost everything in any way that ran the government, it was mostly just Pol Pot. Um, and like, you know, those were considered his advisors or like there's no like voting going on here. It was only two years later in 1977 that the Communist Party would admit that it simply exists and that Pol Pot was its leader. Oh, nice. A good reveal. They've been in charge for two <laughs> years. <laughs> Imagine if we had no idea who the president they was. They have a coming well, out party. Someone had... Oh, that's illegal. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you can't have parades. Parades <laughs> yeah. aren't happening. Like, imagine we didn't know who was like the who, who Congress was or the president. Like, I mean, granted, that would be better in some ways, but like, uh, like, oh, something happened in the country. Who did it? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just some dude comes out. Oh, hey. By the way, I'm in charge. What's up? And also, like, most people, about 99% of people, still had no fucking idea who Pol Pot was. It, even though that's not his name, he, was, he would just go by brother number one, <laughs> if you knew anything at all about him. Like, they didn't, there wasn't even a picture until, like, the last year of the Khmer Rouge's existence. Do you think uh, he ever, somebody ever saw him? Just walking around, whatever. Hey, you're the idiot that kept failing the test back in school. Uh, pointing out my personality flaws? Kind of revolutionary. <laughs> and like, you know, they evacuated Phnom Penh, but that's where the governments ran by. So it's not like nobody ever sees him do anything. He's walking around in an abandoned city. I did this. Like somebody called somebody called uh, Phnom Penh um, Hiroshima without the destruction and Pompeii without the volcano. Like, just completely fucking empty. That's fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. It was a city for millions yeah, of people. I- now, suddenly, like, a couple thousand Khmer Rouge soldiers and, like, party functionaries live in it now. I wouldn't be able to imagine that at all. It's fucking creepy. Um, and some of the decisions at that the center put into place were beyond comprehension. First of all, all ideas of modern life were done away with. There'd be no more school, no more hospitals. Even borders of their provinces were done away with. Instead, they divided the country up into exact squares on a map, like a chessboard, um, without taking into account what was actually in those plots of land. Um, Now, there's a reason for this that's so incredibly dumb. Uh, So... The Khmer Rouge's logo, more specifically the People's Assembly logo, uh, happens to have perfectly square rice fields in the background of it. That being like the the 
the seal, right? right? Like this is a cartoon effectively. It's, it's, it's art. Um, but they figured, well, if it's on the people's assembly logo, well, that's how the country should look. <laughs> this being something that someone fucking drew. And they're like, yep, yeah, uh, make it look like squares. Uh, that's not how the real world works. That's why sometimes like, you know, people have a tendency to consider people insane when they make very bad decisions. Yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to give them this one. This is fucking nuts. Um, Imagine being the one farm that just isn't perfectly square. You're fucked. <laughs> oh shit, my corner's rounded. <laughs> yeah. Corner's rounded? That's kind of revolutionary. It just didn't grow in right. <laughs> <laughs> now, within the Constitution allowed, uh, there was no allowance given for a regional government of any kind. So, like, what we would effectively be like, there's no county or state governments now. All of it's There's only Ankar. Only the organization can be in charge. Where do you reside in? Um, uh, square one. Kind of. Yeah. Um, like, or like all of those um, administration names gone. Not like they completely redesigned the country and seemingly overnight. Uh, because they didn't think that the regional governments would be important. Um, they, were, they, they thought it'd be pointless because everybody's living on their farms that we've created for you. Why would you need a local government? So outside of this small, outside of like this government, which remember, you have no fucking idea what it is. Because if you lived in Phnom Penh, where like the government is located, you now don't. And there's no news anywhere because radios are fucking illegal. There's no TV. Cell phones haven't been invented yet. So like, and you're certainly not getting any newspapers. So like, you're just like, uh, this weird fucking 15 year old with an AK forced me out in this farm. Who's making these choices? <laughs> um, but yeah, they didn't think that there would be any need for any kind of government because what are you going to do? Go petition them for grievances <laughs> or something? Um, like the most that you would like the first line of government you'd see was like a Khmer Rouge soldier who's probably a teenager threatening you with a fucking Maddox pick handle or whatever to farm harder or whatever. Um, though in charge of all these government farms, there'd be a three-person committee that would take the face of the Khmer Rouge government up to the point that their powers were absolute within that farm. Um, like, And that's... This decentralization kind of happens at all layers of Cambodian society, to include the military, now known as the Revolutionary Army of Kampuchea. Uh, once they take o- once they've taken over, one of the first things they did was kill everybody who had any connection to the old okay. army, as one does when they end up on this podcast. Normally, um, the command of the army was never truly centralized, though technically it fell under the command of Pol Pot and they had a minister of defense. Uh, not really. Um, during the Civil War, branches of fighters just kind of operated out on their own with no input whatsoever in any kind of overall command structure. Now, during the Revolution, this had a benefit that nobody really thought of um, because it made the insurgency impossible to stop. It was effectively a leaderless resistance, right? Yeah. It's like uh, people generally think of like the Taliban as being like this rigid, structured control thing, but it's not. It's like very regionalized people are fighting like within an hour from where they live type shit. So like, you know, you could just pot like feasibly if your village wanted to join the Khmer Rouge, but the Khmer Rouge was not there yet. You could just be like, we're Khmer Rouge now. 
Like it's impossible to end. Right. But okay. eventually that ended and they took over and now they need an army. Well, you effectively created weird a weird fiefdom of an army with like different warlords in tra- in charge. Uh so that that was a problem. Um it worked for the insurgency, but as a standing army, it was completely counteractive. Um now there the the country was split off into like military zones with little chunks of the Campuchian army stuck out there in order to watch over it. Uh mostly to guard communal farms from itself. Uh mostly being executions and things like that because the army also did a lot of that. Um now since they didn't have a uh, command structure to follow, um every army's zone of control was in control by a three-man team. Two what they considered military officers, which were not actual military officers because they shot all them. Oh, okay. And one political officer. Now, if you remember from our uh, Winter War series, which one of these group of people do you think had more power? The military officers or the political one? I imagine the political. Yep. <laughs> nice. Technically, they were supposed to vote on all of their decisions. However, the political, the political officer could outrule them by themselves. <laughs> Now, the, these groups would run their zones of control as faces of the government, which meant they had total power. Um, that means they could make their own choices, do their own things. Occasionally, one's, one zone's military unit would be sent to invade another because Pol Pot would accuse that military zone's commander to being counter-revolutionary or disloyal. Really? So it was very common for different groups of the army to be regularly going to war against one another because one group had been accused of something. Uh, So they effectively created an institutional civil war to keep the military in check. This fucking sucks. I have never seen anything like that before in any period of history I've ever fucking studied. No. And like, these aren't power struggles. Like, this isn't like... Now, eventually, there was like people who may or may not have been attempting coups. They were accused of attempting coups, whatever. Like, nobody's marching on Phnom Penh to depose Pol Pot. But he's, like, ordering one random group of soldiers to invade the other. It's kind of incredible. Like, he didn't want... I think a lot of it was uh, power checks. Like, you know, most uh, tyrants end up starting a very top-heavy army because they just yeah. promote loyal people to generals and field marshals and stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, that has a side effect of making a very incompetent military because nobody who's actually good ever gets promoted. Like, look at the the Iraqi army under Saddam Hussein or, you know, Uganda under Idi Amin, any of those people. Um, Generally, dictatorships have shit armies for that exact reason. So instead to not do that, because remember, they're supposed to be strictly year zero communists and giving you the rank of field marshals counter-revolutionary... I'll just make you constantly fight one another so nobody's truly powerful. Right? Like, that's what I get out of it. How is he doing this faceless? Uh, you get orders from the organization. Like, fuck. You know? Like, I wonder if it came in a cool envelope. Envelopes? Kind of revolutionary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's the only um, effective way to send a letter... Um, in the Khmer Rouge, you actually have to write it on somebody's chest and then just walk over to them and show them because owning like paper kind of revolutionary. Um, it almost is believable <laughs> from everything you tell me. 
I mean, like we'll talk about it a little bit more, but like quite honestly, being someone who is educated enough to be literate was suspicious. Like they didn't like you that much. Which remember, like Pol Pot's a fucking teacher. So was like uh, Comrade Dutch. I believe Son Sen is a fucking teacher as well. Like almost all these fucking people are teachers. (laughs) But remember, they just made school illegal. Yeah. Very weird stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about these farms, right? I said families. I don't mean families. Um, these areas would be farmed by a group of 15 to 20 groups. These are generally in most, uh, like the book I used, uh, Michael Vickery's Cambodia, called them families. But that's more of, of a term, not an right. actual thing. They're called a crom. Um, while so, uh, some of these families did manage to stay together... Most were just simply random groupings of people um, because one of the means of control they did was splitting up families. Um, people tended to not um, like stand up against people beating the shit out of people if they weren't family. Uh, pe- people weren't going to risk their lives or whatever for people they didn't know. Um, and also, this is also communal. Like Families weren't considered families anymore. Like That was considered a like a hierarchical fucking part of society is having a family with a mom and a dad and a kid or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, these were like just groups like you would be taken, say you're married and you have a kid um, right. and you lived in Phnom Penh and you didn't just get murked when you're leaving. Like, okay, come with us, get on the back of this fucking truck. Your wife and kids are going that way. And you just go out to a crom or whatever, meet with 15 other groups of random people. I'd be like, you live together now, make it work. I wonder if there was like a, the Joker who was like, well, guard, if you knew my wife, this is a blessing. <laughs> and then he just gets got, probably. Yeah, you know, on that time, I'd be like, thank you, Santa Ball. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, you know, it wasn't that there was like some commune out there for uh, for wives and mothers and kids or whatever. Then they would be further separated. Uh, and then like your wife would be sent to a different farm with a different group of men and women. And children would all be sent somewhere else. Like they didn't, they didn't care about where you ended up. And it was just another lover of control. Um, I mean, that was another tradition that they wanted to smash, which is the term that they used. And that is a family. That's all like they wanted to smash the concept of a family. Um, children were separated from their parents, husbands from wives. Um, like quite literally, they didn't want children to have parents. The only person that was allowed to raise their kid was Ankar, the organization. Ooh. Nice. All right. The children would be separated into communes of their own, where they'd spend their time doing backbreaking labor as well as forced political education from father and mother anchor. If children refused, well, you already know how that ends. There's no discrimination if they're kids or not. They actually had a, they had a specific tree that they'd grab children by their ankles and swing their heads into until they oh. died. Yep. Thanks for that. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, one of those facts that most people know about, like the Khmer Rouge, like they had a very specific child killing tree. They did. Um, yeah. And it was, sometimes it wasn't even the fact that um, your kid who was now stripped from you refused to learn Pol Pot thought or whatever. Sometimes say like they know that they killed um, like they killed you and your wife and your kid to survive. Like, well, now the kid might grow up, swear vengeance against Khmer Rouge. We got to kill the kid, too. Oh, yeah, like, a, like those movies. Yeah, we can't have fucking Cambodian Batman in here. You gotta kill him. 
Um, now, also, your traditional marriage, illegal. You're not married anymore. Gone. Um, because remember, got to smash tradition. Instead, you'd be forced into a revolutionary marriage on your farm with your new family. Um, and no, you didn't have a choice in who that was. Like, ah, that one. That one's your wife. Oh, it's like when the teachers pick your partner. Exactly. For projects. Fuck. Yeah, I hated except, that. Uh, now, they also believe that a higher birth rate than what was normal in Cambodia for the time would be important for their year zero plan. Because remember, they need Cambodian kids who are born into Ankar, not raised by their parents, and to work the fields. Because they believe, like, um, going back to the Khmer Empire, which is historically known to be very, very rich, they believe the reason why it was very, very rich is because it had a lot of rice. So they believed to become very, um, very, uh, prosperous because obviously communists don't want to be rich rich, hypothetically they just needed a lot of rice in order to make a lot of rice gotta have a lot of field hands so our new generation or of kids yeah which are notoriously not great at manual labor but whatever um and but they also wanted a new group of children quite honestly they this they consider this entire generation of cambodians a wash because they're already contaminated even the peasants aren't peasant enough because they weren't raised by mother ankar Okay. So their plan was for all of these new revolutionary marriages to fuck constantly and give them plenty of kids, which could then be snatched away and raised in by Ankar. Um, but because that this birth rate was very important, it meant they had to be sure that you was fucking. And they did this by forcing you to um, consummate your marriage the same night you were forced to be married while someone watched. Oh. It was institutional revolutionary rape because neither one of these two people can consent to this right um and if you didn't you know how that ends was there a tree for that no adults are harder to swing um you just get okay. the you just get the pickaxe jason found a way okay at this point i'm calling animal fact time jesus christ all right um rats laugh when tickled it's kind of adorable. Yeah, a, stu- a study was conducted at the University of Berlin to explore what happens uh, in the human brain when we're tickled. National Geographic wrote that the testing on rats showed that they, in fact, love to be tickled, especially on their backs. Oh, fuck, t- that's cool. When tickled, rats let out an extremely high-pitched sound, which is now associated with laughing. They even began to search for the experimenter's hand, and, then the- and when they uh, stopped to ask for more... <laughs> That's adorable. I love that. You can't do that to certain rats, though. I wouldn't go around trying to tickle strange rats. Yeah, not around I, here you anyway. Can't, you can't go to LA rats and try to tickle. <laughs> try to tickle uh, the back of like a New York rat. Hey, I'm fucking rat here. <laughs> it gets Fuck on off, its fucking two legs. Takes your wallet. <laughs> Pulls a knife out, starts stabbing you in the chin. <laughs> uh, so. I personally knew that. You haven't tapped out yet. I tapped out first, and I wrote these fucking words. Jesus Christ. That's probably why. You've been exposed to it longer. I had to revisit this. Um, so, so, we also have a net gun, just in case Joe gets out of hand. You get pinned into a corner, shot with a net gun, and, a, and a given a tranquilizer. Yeah, just in case you lose it. <laughs> so, no matter your age, education, or position, no matter what it had been, uh, when you were um, in Phnom Penh or whatever your city was, or even some of these fucking farmers. Like, it's not like when all this revolution happened, they're like, oh, well, you were farming this land before. You can just keep on farming it. You're good. Absolutely not. 
it didn't happen. They you got fucking shuffled up in this as much as everybody else. Um you were put to work on these farms, no matter what you did beforehand. Like, you know, we all like we make jokes about um like the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, where like Chinese attempted to make um like steel smelting or iron smelting fucking uh furnaces in peasants' backyards making pig iron despite they have no idea what they're doing. Right. And how dumb of an idea that was. They tried to do this with farmers. I don't know how to fucking farm, but I'd they're be like, the, I'd be the worst fucking farmer. I, I would just be like, you know, just fucking kill me, dude. Like, right. we, uh, we both already know that's how this ends. My output wouldn't be good. Like, I would, I'd come up with one grain of rice, didn't meet the quota. Oh, yeah, we'll talk. They did have quotas that we'll talk about, but yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The real high. Uh, it unreasonable. Yes. Uh, like, and, and nobody knows how to farm at this point because, like, the urban population is, is massive. And they're definitely. <laughs> you, like, imagine going out to your communal farm, like, okay, which one of you guys is a farmer? Like, uh, I work in IT. Uh, so it's, yeah. I had a podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was say, could fuck. you imagine us on a fucking square? All right, get to farming. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I'll make a podcast about farming. Uh, also, things get worse because remember the deindustrialization of everything. This is that that means the death of large scale machining and factories. So there's no way to repair any farm equipment that because they were fine using farm equipment. However, they shot themselves in the dick because they destroyed all the ways to repair and produce farm equipment by getting rid of all the people who knew how to repair and fucking. Uh, Manufactured farm equipment. Do you think behind closed doors they're like, fuck, shouldn't have done that? I'm starting to think uh, we should have started at year five. Um, Furthermore, like I said in the last episode, uh, no preparation was made for this. Nothing. Like, nobody's like, hey, this farmland that normally had a couple families working on, we're going to stuff like 10,000 dudes on it. Nobody made it. Yeah, nobody had any preparation for this at all. Um, so all these people just forced in the countryside to farm. And you know, at first there's some farm equipment that could be repaired, but there's not nearly enough of it to go around, which would then break down. So almost all work was done by hand. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, so remember, as I've said, Pol Pot is not a deep thinker. He thought of an idea and just kind of did it with like, just they had the force of the, of a dictator behind it now. Um, he forced millions of people into the countryside, vastly changing the demographics of a country seemingly overnight, quite literally in 24 hours. One of the oversights there was there's no food stockpiled in any of these new areas for the quote unquote new people uh, where they were being sent to. So people right. began to starve immediately. So we'll talk a little bit more about the famine that he caused in a minute. Money was now illegal. Uh, what? <laughs> surprise. More things are illegal, right? Um, <laughs> The he's shooting, old, shooting from the hip at this point. Yeah, he's like, how can we make, how can I fuck things up worse? <laughs> yeah. I saw someone exchange $5 for a hamburger. It's illegal. Yeah. Which I was part? Waiting in behind, I was waiting in line behind somebody who was waiting for their change. Pissed me off. And I had to wait 10 whole seconds. You know what? Change. It's illegal now. Um, bartering and exchange. We should make, uh, you know, writing checks. That takes too long. I, I get in line. I don't like seeing that come out. Uh, you know saying. what? Let's make the money illegal. 
but let's also make all the things that we were in line for illegal as well. Everybody's like, ah, yes, good idea. <laughs> yeah. Now, barter and exchange would be the only um, method of any kind of economy. Um, and also uh, certain aspects of their own language, like titles and honorifics, like calling you sergeant, illegal. Grand Chancellor is what I like to tell my soldiers to call me. Also illegal. Um, the con- even the concept of ethnic minorities and religion was officially illegal. Now, more into that, uh, the ethnic minorities and religions were made illegal because this sounds crazy, because it is, but the government would, have, would just force various ethnic groups to becoming Khmer, uh, you know, the, the dominant group of Cambodia, by changing their names, uh, making their, their own languages illegal, and also their own religions. Um, afterwards, any hint their of those things? Yeah, so like Chams, uh, which is a uh, Muslim minority within Cambodia, have their own language. That's illegal, as is Islam, as is being a Cham. So if they can't speak, that's fucked. Yeah, that's literally a genocide. Uh, so like, there's a lot. There's many different steps of genocide. Um, mo- some of them is like destroying targeted things like uh, places of worship, like mosques and Buddhist temples. They did that. Um, some of them is targeting clergy and the young. They did that. Um, destroying uh, cultural heritage, like your fucking language. Um, you know, like what we did to Native Americans. You're gonna go to boarding schools where you have a biblical name and only speak English, or you know, we'll send you back to the reservation, which is functionally a concentration camp full of starving people, and you can't grow food or hunt there. Uh, like those things are all those those things all are parts of a genocide, which is what the Khmer Rouge did to Cham Muslims. Um, like uh, another part, children being forcefully taken from them, either to be smashed, quote unquote, or to be turned into good Khmers as they consider them. Um, But for the most part, Chams specifically, a lot of mass killings. Um, There wasn't a lot of... They'd break up the communities because they all mostly lived together, as most minorities do, generally stay around one another because of shit like this. Um, Yeah, but that's how they destroyed the Muslim population of Cambodia. Um, And a a lot of them were killed. Um, Yeah. I believe it was something like 80%, 90%. It's an incredible number. Um, so, that, so that is the aspect of the Cambodian genocide that most people don't know about. They assume that the genocide is just the millions of people that the Khmer Rouge killed. And while targeting people that you consider to be enemies of the people and counter-revolutionary or non-communist or whatever is a crime against humanity... It does not make a genocide. Um, but targeting people and doing what they did to the Muslims, Buddhists, um, Buddhist clergy specifically, uh, the, the Vietnamese, the Thai and the Chinese that were all in Cambodia, those make a genocide. So this is like a horrible, despotic crime against humanity machine of human suffering on top of a genocide. Great, huh? Yeah. I don't know why I do this podcast. I'm going to hit you with animal fact. Ducks yeah, love ahead. to surf. Really? Ducks love to go catch a wave or two in the deep blue sea. They've been observed riding the waves of the ocean to shore and then swimming back out again to do it all over. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm a fan. I, I like the waves. I like swimming in waves. 
I fun. don't know how to surf. Um, I'm being outsmarted by a duck. I don't know how to surf either. So I I don't have the the coronation to make me think that I'd be successful at that. So I don't even bother trying. Uh, okay. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I mean, you know me well enough to be like, yep, watch you tripped over your own feet. Probably not going to do <laughs> yeah. great in the ocean. Um, stepped on my toes before. Yeah, yeah. So, back to that barter system. You're probably wondering, well, what the fuck are they bartering? They don't have anything. Well, because remember, they, they weren't allowed to bring anything from their homes. They're all stripped of everything. People don't even have food anymore. Fuck so, bottle caps, huh? <laughs> like fallout shit? Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. actually, it's actually worse than that. So, everyone got a government-mandated... A uh, daily ration of a few tins of rice, meaning like a tin cup, not very big. It's, n- I think it might be about one literal cup, like a measurement cup. Oh wow! Um, at least at first, that number would go down uh, because they would run out of food. Uh, but you'd get a couple of these tins of rice every day, meaning that that's one thing that everybody has. Which means soon that rice became the most valuable thing that anybody had. Because of all the like the starving that's already happening, right. so people would literally have to barter with their own food. Uh, if you needed anything like some fucking clothes, which would not be provided for you, or even some over-the-counter medicine that somebody had smuggled, because remember that's illegal. Rubber sandals, uh, shoes, fucking a belt, like literally any whatever you needed. The only thing that you could do is barter your own meal for it. Which, by the way, is already a fucking starvation ration. So you better like think long and hard. Do I really need this? <laughs> um, like hospitals and schools were shut down. Like I said, um, this had something to do with Pol Pot's deep hatred for anybody who could be be considered a professional class. That being teachers, doctors, nurses, and other people. Uh, and you know, Pol Pot was a private school teacher, so he should have hit him. Hater. He hated every. I, he some, obviously he hated himself too. Like how, yeah. like nobody knows how many teachers he personally knew he ended up killing because he was a teacher for years. So he had to have ended up killing a lot of his former coworkers. Um, like thousands of teachers are murdered. Doctors are massacred in large numbers. Um, this soon blossomed into something of a blood orgy of anybody who even happened to look educated. Now there's something famous about the Khmer Rouge that said they'll kill you just for wearing glasses. That's kind of true, oh. but that's, that's more of a misconception. There was no rule saying that having glasses means you're going to be killed. It was that the idea they believed wearing glasses made you smart. So if you're smart, you're going to be professional class. If you're professional class and you're a bougie enemy of the people, you must die. So like a lot of people began like just not wearing their glasses. <laughs> so Nick, we're both dead. We both yeah, wear glasses. Yeah. I'm wearing mine right now. There's someone, there's a 13 year old Cambodian child with an AK coming up my stairs to fuck my shit up. I just broke mine, so. Oh, see? See, you're blending in. You're good. <laughs> I don't need to see. Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was like mass scaled paranoia at this point. They're like, uh, like it, the, the, the criminal elements of society are professional, you know, capitalists, and those people tend to look a certain way. And one of the ways that they look is they wear glasses. So like, yeah, like sometimes people would get their name sent to the Santa ball with the only bit of information is like he wears glasses and that would be enough. <laughs> that fucking sucks. Yeah, I'd be so fucked. Yeah, you would. Now, you're probably wondering like, how the fuck does a country survive without, you know, 
medicine. I would say how a country survives without healthcare, but America's still around. Um, Ooh. Uh, but like the go- official government stance was to encourage the use of traditional medicine, meaning in effect, healthcare had kind of just become illegal and remained completely useless. Like, Imagine like you pretty much just boil down to like uh, home remedies for everything, which sure like soup is great when you have a cold, but now you have no fucking soup. Or, or like in Michigan, that is drinking ginger ale for pretty much everything. I thought it was just Sprite for you guys. Now we got ginger ale. We got we got spicy water. Uh, oh, but like yeah. you know, ginger ale is great for stomach aches, but like you don't have any of that anymore because like you have rice and some contaminated water. Mexicans have Vaseline. For everything. Vaseline, really? Sorry, Vicks vapor rub. My bad. The Greeks have a, a glass cleaner, Windex. Ugh. Yeah, at least according to uh, a big fat Greek wedding. Oh, it's a documentary. Well, my put sugar on Vicks vapor rub and make us eat it. Ugh. You ate Vicks vapor rub? You're not supposed yeah, to grab eat a that. Spoon. She'd grab a spoon and put a little bit of sugar on top and be like, here you go. Don't worry, little Nick. It's good on the outside, which means it only can be better on the end. <laughs> it went on our feet, it went on our chest, and it went on our stomach. I think that's why I could eat what I could eat. I could eat whatever I want. Your insides are just covered in a very thin layer of Vicks Vapor <laughs> up much. to this day. Was like it the mentholated layer. kind, so it burned? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> All I know is there was sugar on top, and my grandma's fucking curing me. She's, she's curing you of a terminal illness and is living. But also, I didn't know what the fuck she was saying. So she probably was just telling me to put it on like my chest. And I was like, oh, eat it. Because <laughs> obviously, she doesn't know English. <laughs> he is the dumb one. We'll keep giving him Vicks Vapor Rub. He seems to love it. He's eating it. Oh, I definitely wouldn't have been executed for being smart. <sighs> yeah, unfortunately, you have the facade of being smart, which is having a title and wearing glasses. Damn it. <laughs> uh, but one of the major downsides, like, remember, Cambodia is tropical. They have tropical-related diseases, right? Like, things that right. just come with living in that environment. Um, one of those things was malaria. Now, you've gotten rid of all modern medicine, which means malaria uh, drugs. So this led to a malaria rate of 80% of the entire Ooh, population. Fuck. Which has to be some kind of fucking high score. I could not find anything that was remotely close to this. Uh, and remember, like, in this situation, if you catch malaria, you're gonna fucking die. Uh, like, you need med- medical intervention, which is now illegal. So a lot of fucking people died from untreated malaria. Now, you're sending the entire population of the country to go out and farm. That means people might be miserable, but at least they have enough to eat, right? Like, you're working on a farm all day. My back hurts. My knees hurt. I have fucking malaria, but at least I have rice because I work on a rice farm, right? Right. Like, of one thing that I have should not be a deficit of rice. Wrong! (laughs) Um, Now, the government seemingly did everything they could to ensure that people working in the fields were going to be fucked. Now... Remember when they said that uh, I said that they divvied up the fields with no thought, like in like circle, like squares or whatever. Yeah. Um, each plot of land was equally sized, farmed by equal groups of farmers, and it was expected to uh, to produce the same amount of food. Now, that sentence I just told you, even people who's never worked on a farm is probably saying like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense, Joe." And you're right. 
which also means you're more intelligent than the Democratic Kampuchean government, because that was their policy. Which means you're getting executed. Which means I am fucked. Yeah, uh, knowing a little bit about farming, kind of revolutionary. Um, now, this all sounds very, very stupid. And I assure you, it is that stupid. So I'll point out a little bit more. Not all land is created equal. Neither are farmers when it comes to millions of them who aren't farmers being forced to become farmers. Most of the new people, new people being the city folk, had no idea what they were doing, causing massive crop failures as they attempted to grow rice in the middle of a parking lot or whatever. Um, This is on top of a food shortage and famine that the country was already dealing with from the Civil War. And like this whole time, uh, so remember how I said China was like supporting them? Yeah. China was uh, sending them tons of fucking rice too. Really? Tons of food, tons of military supplies. Uh, 90% of all of Cambodia's government was China just giving them stuff. That other 10% is the real motherfucker of the whole thing. So let's say we do have rice, which they did. They did have rice. They didn't have a surplus, but these farms were creating rice. They sold it. They sold it. Oh, wow. Uh, So you'd have... You have millions of people starving, busting their ass farming, um, and it would all be centralized, and then it would just be sold. Some of it would be given out, but some of it would be sold, even though they yeah, were you in know, the you middle. Fill the tin cups. Yeah, and even then, that that ration would go down, um, and it was being sold right back to China. In some cases, they were selling them their own rice back. Really? Because they didn't have enough. Um, so it it's. That, that's and this is this is the weird part. Even though China is propping up their entire economy at this point, this this country only survived this long because of China. They began slaughtering Cambodians of Chinese descent to the point really? that it was another genocide. So th- a three faceted genocide. Now, nearly all of them would be killed or forcefully displaced. Which again, you don't see those numbers in other genocides. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, now, uh, if you haven't caught on from everything that I've said so far, it should not be much of a surprise. And I tell you soon, people began starving by the hundreds of thousands. Um, when this happened, the government did not take a good hard look at their ideas and realize that they had screwed up. Instead, crop failures would be the fault of the farmers. If they believed in the revolution hard enough, food would happen. And because they didn't farm hard enough and make food happen, they became enemies of the people. Starving to death? It's kind of revolutionary. But the new people were not the only ones suffering. Even the farms ran by people who knew what they were doing, crops were failing, and people were starving. That's because everyone was given two food rations a day, one some rice and some salt, and the other that had some kind of soup that may or may not have fish in it, depending on the day. Um, if that sounds like not enough food for 18 hours of work every day, there's no way that these people are going to be able to survive this. They're being, it's it's a death, it's a countrywide death camp. Right. And if you don't work 18 hours, sometimes it was 12 on days where you had like political education, you'd just be executed. Oh, and like falling asleep during that political education, which I definitely know I would have. That's oh, for sure. revolutionary, my man. The, the dude's definitely not saying, hey, Mr. Sabian, stand up. Stand up in the back. Yeah, the, I feel like it just hit me in the back of the fucking Max. Yeah. 
This is normally people get desperate, start foraging for food, eating grass, weeds, rats, whatever the hell they can get their hands on. Oh, they're not tickling rats. They're, no, the, the, the tickling rat boat has, has sailed and they've eaten the boat as well. But that's also illegal. Even eating grass is illegal and would get Jesus you killed. Jesus Christ. When crops didn't fail, they were centralized and passed upwards into the government. Many of the people working the fields noted that none of the soldiers nor members of the Santa Ball ever looked hungry. However, most of the people would be starving to death as they worked. Also, there's only a couple pictures of Pol Pot that exist, but uh, he looked like he rarely missed a meal. Uh, And remember, if there's any surplus after this, it'd be sold. The people in command of these farms had uh, the power to stop sending so much food towards the government, but in doing so, would admit that their farm is failing. If their farm was failing, the Santa Ball would come for them. So they took every last bit of food that was produced in some places, dooming their own workers to die and only preserving their own life for as long as it took them to all starve to death. But the demands from the rice fields would not go down. Pol Pot thought that the harvesting of rice was just about the most important thing they could do. And I guess credit where credit is due, if they had any idea of what they were doing, it would have turned out okay, I guess. Um, like, if, in a best-case scenario... Sure, you wouldn't be able to jerk off, drink, gamble, or do anything fun, but at least you wouldn't starve to death. Um, as farming declined, the government turned it into something of a military campaign. Uh, one of the, um, their propaganda lines was, quote, strike, crush, and win absolutely the production goal of three tons per hectare. Um, now, that is, the, that's, uh, that is the amount of rice that they wanted. That's three tons per hectare. Now, a hectare is about two and a half acres of land. I had to look that up. I'm not, I don't have farm <laughs> on my brain. I honestly didn't know either, so thank you. <laughs> uh, that's the amount of food that the government decided that they needed every year in order to make true, uh, year, year zero truly complete and, and, and sustainable. Fuck, Prob- they're still in year zero? Yeah, year zero is the philosophy. You don't get past year zero. Like, best case scenario here, if everything worked out and there wasn't genocides and mass starvation, this is just your existence now. As you're just farming constantly forever. Yeah, I'll go ahead and just give me the pickaxe. Yeah. Small problem, though. That they amount ran out of, of pickaxes. They ne- unfortunately, they never ran out of pickaxes. Okay. That's the one thing they seemingly had a fucking surplus of. This is more rice that Cambodia has ever produced, even with modern farming equipment and international support, which they no longer had. So Pol Pot was effectively he- uh, uh, hemming his entire civilization's existence on rice magic. Right, like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. Right. Like they, they instead, what they had was a bunch of half dead dudes from the city attempting to will rice from the earth. Also, attempting to, like changing the country like they did, like they like rezoning, I guess, all the farmland um, required building new dams and irrigation canals to feed all of these farms. So the Khmer Rouge forced some people who had no idea how to farm to, and also had no idea how to work construction, build incredibly hard things to build, like irrigation systems and dams, which all immediately failed and caused more farming uh, shortages. Like, weird. I 
may that elementary school build me this fucking <laughs> aqueduct that it doesn't work. <laughs> Can't believe it. So we have talked a little bit about the impromptu executions that might occur. But one thing that the Khmer Rouge became notorious for was the bureaucratic death machine that they created within the walls of their death camps. The most well-known being S21, or Toll Slang. And that is where we'll pick up next week. And guys, if this shit is too grim for you already, just do not listen to the next episode. I don't know any other day. Like, obviously, thank you for supporting the show, but don't listen to that. Yeah, stop listening to <laughs> if this. If this is already bothering you, the next episode is quite legitimately the worst podcast episode I've ever written. This already re- kind of sucks. Yeah, and I have scripted hours worth of human misery now. It's been almost three years of this podcast. I've written about the Holocaust. I've written about the Armenian Genocide. I've written about the fucking Belgians in the Free Congo State. Um, that's Unit 731. Fucking what else? The next episode is, is the worst podcast episode I've ever fucking written. So uh, I hope you enjoy that one, Nick. Um, how you feeling, bud? <laughs> I'm just not understanding the logic behind any. Like it's just like it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's it's hard, man. Like it's one of those things that's like, what was their end game here? You know, like I'm not understanding his strats. I think what it comes down to is kind of what I I talked about earlier is that he saw this entire generation, all of these people in Cambodia as disposable to get to the next stage, which is like the kids that they were stealing from people to raise on their own. I legitimately think that he thought that all of the people in, the, in on these farms it were like, you know, you shovel coal into a fire to make a train go faster. He's burning them up to get to where his like his true year zero which is like these kids who, you know, it's like fucking ISIS kids, like ideologically pure, raised within the system and like fucking effectively, you know, suicide machines. Like the, the only thing they know is Inkar. Right. Um, and we don't really talk about what happens to Pol Pot in depth at the end of this, but he always says up and down that he had no idea any of this was going on, which is just so deeply untrue. Um, I mean, like their propaganda set up all of this. Like if you read it, like all of this is making more sense of how this would occur, which is like everyone was expendable in order to their, for their goals. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's exactly like uh, what we're see- like. Well, not exactly, obviously, but a good way to rationalize this, in my opinion, is look at what the United States is doing right now. Um, in the middle of a pandemic, we still have people at work uh, oh, yeah. that will that will we know will kill them, so they can keep the economy going. But you know, so like you know, we don't have a full depression um, or whatever. Hypothetically, if you believe in this sort of thing. But at the end of the day, if this keeps growing more and more out of control because we keep spreading, because people keep going to work and interacting with one another, it's going to happen anyway. Like People are eventually going to fucking die. Nobody's going to want to do these jobs anymore, and the economy is going to collapse. Um, so like it, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's um, like you're, you've made an engine that burns people for survival. Um, now, obviously, I talked about a little bit, but like the American bombing campaign against Cambodia helped create 
a horrible famine. But I think we can safely say that even if that famine wasn't already happening, it would have been created by this. Right. So they're only making us like, this is not a situation that ever would have worked. Um, and, you know, whenever we see, like we talked about during our Soviet Afghan war series, I believe we've talked about a few others. Um, it's, I, I think we see like this dumb idea of giving land to people who have no idea what to do with it. Um, as like so badly thought out all like weird start another famine whoops it's like yeah it's because you just have some dude that used to work as a mechanic trying to make rice or whatever um like but i think one of the things that stuck out to me is like what is the rationale behind all this i, I think we fucked up in that we're looking at a rationale we're looking we're desperately looking for a rationale like yeah the nazis are easy to figure out um, Joseph Stalin is easy to figure out. Pol Pot is always a lot more questionable because he didn't rule like a personality cult guy. He didn't. He didn't want people to know about him. Nothing like that. Um, but he had uh, certain ideas that were obviously just as destructive as anybody with a personality cult. Um, it's it's all very very weird. He's a dictator unlike any other I've ever fucking heard of or have ever read about. Um. <laughs> And it, I've never I never heard of a fucker that's like this. And and even the culture of fear and snitching, it, even in, it, it broadly uh, is much worse than anything I've ever heard of before. Um, like uh, people always talk about how deeply entrenched the Stasi was in East Germany, or like the KGB is another great example. Um, but like the Santa Ball is so far beyond that um, to the point that uh, like one prisoner, one of like seven who escaped this camp ever alive was like, I don't blame them for what they did. Uh, you know, if, if I, they, they, you know, all the people killing people also had a gun to their heads. If they didn't kill someone, they would die. So if that guy wasn't killing me, I would kill him if it meant staying alive. So like, it's all very weird stuff. Um, yeah. be- because like in, in uh, the book, uh, ordinary men, which covers the Holocaust, you have stuff like people given an out, like you do not have to kill these innocent civilians. You can just hang out in the back. It won't be held against you. People will still do it. It's like, you know, unit cohesion, peer pressure type situation there. Um, but here, it, everything's on the threat of death. Absolutely everything. Nobody was safe. So it, it's very, very different stuff. Everybody is operating through a culture of fear that which was created and foisted upon them very successfully. Um, and they're still dealing with the aftermath of it today. So, oh, I believe it. Um, it's, it's a very different kind of genocide and a very different kind of regime, which is why I... like This is at first just going to be about S21, about our next episode. But then I realized I kind of can't make a single episode about that. I kind of just have to make a series about the Khmer Rouge as a whole to make it to make more sense. Um, and I don't know if by the end it's going to make sense. <laughs> I, I really it's don't. Insane. Um, trying to wrap but, my head around it. It's fucking not happening. But that is uh, part two. Uh, well, until next time, Nick. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And I don't. I don't have a quip for this one. Don't do anything that we just talked about. Ever. I guess. Later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>